I'm Adam Epstein, and I'm a dirty moderate. All right. Well, folks, I am pleased to welcome Representative Forrest Bennett. Forrest, thank you for joining Dirty Moderate today. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you're a, a really interesting guy to me. Um, you are obviously an elected official in the Oklahoma House of Representatives. You are that rare thing, right, in Oklahoma. You're a Democrat, uh, which I think is great. I mean, you're an assistant Democratic floor leader. You've been in office since 2016. Obviously, you're, you're um, I think, putting forth uh, what I seem to think is, and that's what I want to talk about, you know, a really uh, reasonable, common sense Democratic agenda, you know, that I don't know, and in other hands might be viewed as too liberal and some is maybe not liberal enough, but I think you are in that tradition uh, and it's nearly extinct of a Democrat from let's say the Great Plains, sometimes from the South. Um, and I, I, as I call this episode, does the blue dog still bark? And I don't know, I mean, would you, would you say that you are um, caught between a rock and a hard place? Yeah, but I think that maybe... Um... Barking is the solution because I think, in my experience, uh, it's not always our policy positions that uh, do us wrong. It's the way we deliver the message, and um, you know, I think one of the one of the things that's been really interesting for me to learn since I've been in the legislature is yeah. the argument that doesn't necessarily appeal the most to me might be the winner for. Uh, one of my Republican colleagues. And sometimes that means just being a little bit more like having a more machismo or whatever, you know? And, and uh, I mean, I, I wear it as a badge of honor that on the internet, I've been called a soy boy and uh, a beta, a beta boy. Uh, but, but uh, I have to tell you, that is so ridiculous. I mean, oh, I, know. I mean, I mean, just because, you know, it's like you're advocating for, for let's just call it the common good or for people. And somehow that's, uh, they emasculate you. I mean, it's that, that says a lot that's wrong with, not just our politics. I don't mean to interrupt you, but also the Republican Party. But go on. I mean, I agree g- generally there because it's it's uh, it's there's no there's no consistency anymore, and I think that COVID has probably um, erased anything that was left. But there's so much hypocrisy up here in, in, at the Capitol, um, and I say up here because I'm I am physically here because we we lost our internet last night due to a freak storm, but, okay. well, uh, thanks, at, for, at thanks for uh, sojourning over there. So you can yeah, no it. problem. I needed to <laughs> check and check, check in on the office anyway, maybe dust off the, you know, we have, it's an interim, it's uh, we're in the interim now. So it's uh, yeah. our session is February through May. Um, but, uh, there are right. some people wandering around here. Some legislation you've authored here. And that assume goes along with maybe why your proud badge of honor is a soy boy, which I actually think is funny. And I, I'm not, I'm actually going to satirize it and use it. Let's make it an empowerment term. Okay. Cause it's so ridiculous, but you know what, look at the good stuff that you've introduced. And I don't know if this stuff is passed, but um, correct me if I'm wrong. You've authorized what I think is a garden variety democratic big D agenda, which I think is good for the people raising the minimum wage, right? Family and medical leave insurance, which of course is a huge part of the infrastructure bill pending right now before a uh, Congress that everybody's fighting over the Medicaid buy-in program. I'm, I'm assuming that's because the state of Oklahoma rejected Obamacare's Medicaid program. I don't know. You can fill me in requiring members of the legislature to attend. How about this education, certain educational programs or institutes, doesn't sound like a bad idea to learn something. And then we've got, right, right. Novel concept, although they could probably use it. They definitely use it. Um, And then a motor uh, fuel tax, an Oklahoma motor fuel tax code revision act, which you'll have to fill us in on. But 
These sound like things that we shouldn't even have to be compromising on. These sound like things that, honestly, and it's not even this era, that you know, have had to be fought for for years and years at national, state, and local levels. And the Republican Party, right, of yesterday, I'm not here to hawk for either party, but they opposed this stuff then. They're opposing it now, but they did oppose it in the pre-Trump era. So these were things that you've introduced. Is this what is earning you the moniker soy boy? I mean, that like the good people of Oklahoma don't want a better minimum wage. They don't want family medical leave. I mean, when you put it in terms that you put it and you – obviously come off like, you know, uh, a really reasonable, presentable, intelligent guy. What's the problem? First of all, I, I need you to tell. I know I gave you a lot there. To some of my colleagues, I need you to tell them that I'm a reasonable, whatever those words you, you said are. Yeah. I, I need to. Uh, reasonable, the, presentable, intelligent. I mean, you're hardly, you know, you don't seem like you're not a bad guy. You just play one on TV. <laughs> that's, exactly, that's exactly right. And I love, right. I love the role. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So those, those, uh, that, represents sort of a platform. And our party uh, in Oklahoma is interesting because we're a sort of a, uh, an inflection point. Yeah. Um, we, we recently elected the, the first Muslim non-binary person elect to the to the House. Actually, the first, wow. I think, non-binary Muslim person in the country to, to a state legislature. Muslim and, uh, and on behalf and so we've got- I, I, Now, this is a, this person is, uh, they identify as non-binary or they- um, uh, from Oklahoma, I guess they are. Yep, the, their name is Mari Turner, and they are from uh, Lawton originally, Lawton, which is in southwestern Oklahoma, uh, but live in Oklahoma City now, and uh, uh, actually beat an incumbent Democrat in a strong Democratic uh, district uh, this wow. last cycle. But what I have found uh, sort of surprising about about myself is that my comfort level um, has has really come up quite a bit as I've found myself finding my niche in sort of my corner of our, of our party. Uh, because as I said, like we are, we're at a place where there are obviously a lot of loud voices that want us to be talking about the, the, the social issues, the things that are on the front lines nationally. But, you know, my district, which is just South, I mean, shares a border with Mari's uh, is wildly different. And I mean, it splits the river, my district, I think, I mean, I'm biased obviously, but I think it's a, uh, it's a beautiful snapshot of tomorrow's Oklahoma, but it's also, it represents the future and the past of Oklahoma city because North of the river, you have younger folks, uh, wealthier folks, uh, South of the river where the, where the lion's share of the vote comes from is blue collar, uh, working class Democrats, um, and young, uh, and, and multi-generational Hispanic families. Mexican families and uh, Latinos. So wow. what we're and this what is we're the ninety second district, right? That's right. Yep, okay. the fight in ninety second. The fight in ninety second. Yeah, and we, uh, I, I think you know, for for folks like myself that represent districts like this, you've got to thread that needle. And 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 I've told people before, and I maybe shouldn't say this in public, but like I've told I've told some of my Democratic activist friends, if you want my set of policy positions, you said earlier, you know, if you want my set of policy positions in this district. It, ha- it sort of has to come in this package for now, because we're building a bridge so that, you know, when uh, when I'm done and the next person comes through, they have a little bit of a wider berth. But, you know, the guy that I took over for who had termed out, he said, you know, you can't touch two issues, uh, abortion and guns. And I have been outspoken on both. And right. I'm OK. Yeah. Those are the third rails of Oklahoma politics. Right. Yes. But we are moving. I mean, the the over the Overton window right here in Oklahoma has moved so much in the last few years. And so um, anyway, I know, I know, I, I think that's great. And I, I, it brings us to the sort of larger philosophical question about the 
the direction of the Democratic Party, but Oklahoma specifically. Oklahoma has not voted for a Democrat in the national election since LBJ carried it in 1964. Obviously, you know, it is the state, it was the state for a long time of Senator, uh, I believe it was Don Nichols, and now it's been in Hoff. And, but of course, it was a state that David Boren governed and represented. And there used to be a, uh, I haven't heard from him in a long time, I don't mean personally, but there was a very promising uh, United States Congressman, Dave McCurdy, who was elected in the 90s. It's interesting because set of proposals that you articulated seem to always be, and I think it's in this era and before, these popular things that people want. But when the culture war, you know, it, you know God, abortion, guns, LGBT, whatever animates you know, the base into a lather or that Republicans or extremists use to divide us, I would argue. Um, Adam, it's, somehow, it's, it's yeah. late October. How are you ignoring the biggest one, which is the war on Christmas, which we're kicking off soon? Uh, but I, I, matter of listen, Forrest, if you follow me on Instagram, and if you don't, you should. I posted a great medley of Fox's greatest war on Christmas hits from the other night from Laura Ingram to Sean Hanney, literally warning you that Joe Biden is the Grinch that stole Christmas. And I voted for Joe Biden, and I guess I voted for the Grinch. I don't know. What do you think about the war on Christmas? Are you nervous here two months to 10 weeks out that your presents aren't coming or what? I just I just <laughs> wish I just wish Starbucks would stop stirring the pot every year with their offensive cups, you know? And you know what? How could you not be waging a war on Christmas as a soy boy from Oklahoma? Or me too. You I'm a dirty it. moderate. I get it. I get it. But no, but, it. but 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 these issues, right, are actually articulated also, believe it or not, this is going to sound a little strange to you, but follow me on this. The way you've articulated the issues are the same issues that Bernie Sanders, I'm not endorsing Bernie Sanders or, or did. He speaks the same language. And you, you know, and what I'm trying to make a point is, is I think the Democratic Party articulates a set of philosophies and issues that mean something to people. And I mean, I don't care who you are, what your background is, but also when they don't invoke identity as a weapon, right? And make everything about culture. I think this stuff sells. So, you know, this dog will hunt. But I think what ends up happening is, by the way, I do believe the right started identity politics, not the left. But the problem is the left is responding, you know, like your colleague, Representative Turner, who would be demonized, I'm sure, for being this Muslim, for being non-binary and all those things. So then the left comes back. But then the left wants to make everything about, in many instances, not all, how woke we can be and who's more this and who's more that. When, you know what? Right, left, center, moderate, otherwise. I mean, come on, Medicaid buy it, family medical leave. This stuff, we need this stuff. Now we have a you know, Bill Clinton passed family medical leave, but we need to expand it. We need a higher minimum wage, and people are hurting, and no one gives a shit about the war on fucking Christmas. And Melania Trump said, by the way, it was my caption on Instagram, who gives a fuck about Christmas? She's on tape saying that. Anyway, the cult won't she care. Should, the cult she won't care. So much more. She got way better gifts than the rest of us. <laughs> But and the cult won't care if you played in that tape. They'll say she didn't say it anyway. You know that. No, but I'm, I'm you know, I'm fascinated by it because it's clearly like the the House GOP, the, the congressional GOP, tweet, tweeted just yesterday like a, a picture of Joe Biden and said, "This is the guy who's trying to, you know, steal Christmas or whatever." And and but but on the flip side of that, in my own party, I really do have to sit back and recognize that, you know, as much as I hear my Republican colleagues who aren't crazy say, "Gosh, I know." the fringes of our party make us look ridiculous and I'm not proud of it, but he, here are the issues. And I have a couple of Republicans that, that have been willing to go um, to a certain degree, work with me um, on specifically healthcare issues. Um, and, and I had great conversations with some of them about my Medicaid buy-in program, but that is actually a great 
example of where I find myself because I, I don't necessarily consider myself a moderate, you know, sort of carte blanche. I have, I have a set of policy positions that don't necessarily all line up. Like, I mean, sure. I feel more, you know, more liberal in, in certain ways, more, more understanding and, uh, and open-minded and others. And that's fine. I just, I find myself in a job where you are expected to sort of toe the line in every way. And I find myself not necessarily the party's not leaving me or anything, but I just, I do, I do feel that this is a big tent party. I'm not threatened by that. I'm proud to be a Democrat because of what I mm -hmm. believe it to be and what it means to me. But to that end, I mean, I also recognize in my district, in, in anywhere, anywhere yeah, in politics, yeah, yeah. you have to talk to people where they are. And where the people in my district are is not where the people in Mars district are, or Melissa That's Provenzano right. from Tulsa, or or Jacob Rosecrans from Norman. These these are folks all in sort of, I mean, not that far away from each other geographically, but the but the positions are different. Thomas, the great House Speaker, Tip O'Neill, all politics is local. And I think that is still true, except every election and every issue seems to be nationalized in a way it did yes. used to because of the advent of social media and 24-hour news and connectivity. But it used to be, you know, infrastructure, you didn't have a na – yeah, you would know about it. Let's say this is even 25 or 20 years ago or so when I was an intern on the Hill – Every day wouldn't be covered. It wouldn't be, there was no social media and you wouldn't hear about every aspect of every negotiation. And you know what? You'd have, you'd get this bill passed because you wouldn't have the media influence. I don't mean, I'm not blaming the media, but a guy would call up and say, hey, hey, Joe, you know, I'm going to get you that bridge in uh, Tuscaloosa. You're going to vote for this. And they would do it. And, you, and you'd corral the vote, uh, the, the moderate wings of party for of both parties, for example. And, and crap got done. I was there. Yeah, but that's interesting to me. I mean, do you, do you find... This is a, this is a tough question to to talk about as like yeah, yeah, yeah. public. But do you find that open meeting laws, sunshine laws, these things, not because of the media, but because of yeah. the show, the presentation that it's become? I mean, I can't. I'll, I'll use this quick example. I I had a bill that uh, some high school kids brought to me from my district, Southside kids, Southside Oklahoma City. Uh, they and I had talked to law enforcement about this. I ID cards for for undocumented immigrants. This is a this is if you're talking talk about a third wheel. I mean, third oh, rail. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the kids, the kids wanted it because they were having, like, their parents wanted to get real jobs and needed IDs. Then I talked to law enforcement. They said, "Yeah, we run into fender benders all the time. Where it would just be better to be able to have everybody's information. We're not." Um, and and of course, that's a slippery deal because you don't. I mean, I, I certainly. Right. You don't, don't want to create an Orwellian snitch state yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Texas just did that with an abortion bill. But anyway, we'll get back to that. Go ahead. I know. And it's terrifying. But anyway, yeah. So so I I took this. I mean, I filed the legislation on their behalf. It's through an organization um, called Generation Citizen, which is a national nonprofit. And they they put sort of, sort of immersive civic engagement in high school classrooms across the country. And it's wonderful. But anyway, okay. um, the, the chairman of that committee uh, that, that it got assigned to, is just a real jerk. Uh, JJ Humphrey from, <laughs> from uh, Southeastern Oklahoma. I mean, he's got, and he, and he would, and this was red B uh, this was chum for the sharks, right? He could just say that. Oh, absolutely. And I, yeah. and he found, a, he, I mean, he told, eventually I said, I don't want, I don't want it brought up because obviously all you want to do is make a political show out of this. He did it anyway. I, I, I went to committee. I presented it. I took his, I took the shellacking. Um, but it was decades ago. This would have been a different deal. It would have been a closed door. Th th there could have been an actual conversation. It would have been heated, but it would have been honest. And God, I, well, just that's one all this I fe The fellow who did this, I'm sorry, was he a Democrat or Republican? Oh, a Republican. Oh, no, okay, yeah. The, the, okay. the, the chair, the chair of the committee. The chair of the committee. Yeah, yeah. So in principle, right, you know, a sunshine law, it feels like the, uh, 
arguably one of the most democratic small d things you can have in a, in a society where in a republic where let where we choose people to go represent us. It's, it's not a Greek system of Athens, right? I, people vote you in and you represent them. So theoretically, one should be able to hear what you're saying and your colleagues are saying. But to the point, I think you're bouncing off the sort of changing game of politics and negotiation because of social media and news and performative bullshit. You know, is that kind of corroding the the very idea of the sunshine law, right? And I think it is. And I think, but I but I think that part of what has gone on is more more is deeper and more insidious than that. Okay, well, it's overt, but it's also insidious, in my opinion. The threat right now, there's two political parties in this country, okay? Uh, that's all we got. I mean, there are more, but there's two that matter, okay? You can tell me you're in green or you're the Lyndon LaRouche's people. Great, okay. And, and everybody's right to vote for whomever they want, okay? But here's the deal. You've got the Democratic Party, in my view. I voted for Biden, as I said. Uh, you know, I believe on the right side of most issues, certainly not all um, a dysfunctional mess as they've always been because they represent a bigger and disparate group of people. That's what the Democrats have always done. They're not a straight white corporate marketing machine. You know what I mean? That marches in lockstep. They don't fall. There's the old saying, the Democrats fall in love, Republicans fall in line. And I think to yes. a large degree, that's true. But in a much more um, frightening way, what I worry about, uh, and I'm so with the never Trumpers on this, and this is my, my thing, is we have an authoritarian Trumpist cult, even without Trump, that has burgeoned and burgeoned on the right. He, they were always there, the kooks, the cranks, the clowns, the reprobates, the John Birch, they were always there. This is the paranoid theory of American politics. Richard Hofstetter wrote, about, wrote this early 60s. You probably read it uh, at one point. And now you see it in action. Now the cameras aren't just on the crazies. The crazies, I believe, are the camera operators. Yeah. They're not yeah. just the hosts. You know, they're not just on, they're both sides. And they, will, and they represent a threat to democracy. So to me, I feel what choice, and I don't like this, but what choice do I have to vote but to vote for a Democrat, which is typically how I voted. But I, I, you know, I feel backed in a corner sometimes because then I think, you know, you put something out there very reasonable. But like I'm watching the 2020 Repo uh, Democratic debates for president. Joe Biden, you know, and everybody, one, one candidate was trying to outleft the other about open borders and who every, and you know, we don't, we can't provide health insurance for Americans, but we're going to give it to people who come over the border and they haven't been, they haven't come over the border legally. By the way, I'm very pro-immigration. I'm just making a point. Can't the Democrats understand how if you're a frustrated steel worker in a town somewhere and you've, your job is on the hook or you've lost it and you're not a racist. Okay. Stop telling everybody they're racist. And you hear that you're struggling to get by. You worked your whole life, and you hear that well, everybody can get health insurance. And well, we didn't. We we should have done this. We should have had people follow the law. I actually, I'm not trying to demonize immigrants. I'm really not. But I'm just trying to pull the conversation to a place where I don't want fascists to take over. So I think it's incumbent upon us to do common sense legislation and do the best we can to get stuff done, but not lose or us, the Democrats, I should say, to not lose our heads and ourselves in the process. And it's, you know, governing with a, with your head screwed on straight, as my grandfather used to say, still matters. It does. You know what I mean? And oh, just, does. that doesn't mean that you're right. You know what I mean? You look, you're championing great stuff by that. You can believe in sensible immigration, sensible fiscal policy, and make sure that your Muslim non-binary colleague is never demonized and always protected under the law. I don't see those things as mutually exclusive, but we have this schism because 
we have the culture war has been going on for years, and now they really are an emerging and a really viciously emerging a threat. Well, yeah, first of all, you're absolutely right, and and I you're hitting on something. I think I mean really the central deal here, which is we are uh, cultivating a more selfish society because people feel justified or otherwise that they are being left behind. Right. And in in our party, it's happening, and that's how you explain. And I mean, I don't, there, I don't know that there were too many people around here that were surprised necessarily. I mean, we were shocked, but not necessarily surprised that, that Trump won just because of the rhetoric we hear from folks around here that you would otherwise think would be right. But what we what what I've experienced right. is and, and why I designed some of the legislation the way I did the buy in program, for example. Yep. I want single payer uh, in this country, yep. but we can't get that here. What I wanted was something plausible, something that we could and, and something that would start a conversation and also. If you give people a choice and one of those choices is far and away better, it's cheaper, it gives you access to all the carriers that you need, and eventually everyone's going to make the right choice. And it was theirs. And that's that whole American individualism thing. And, and again, going back to like finding a way to sell it to folks in a way that that they will buy it instead of just what you what you like. So anyway, that but but we no, need but to I do see more I see that. what you're doing. You have you have a set of values and you're not, and I agree with you, you're not compromising your values. You're acting within a pragmatically structured legislative system. That's all you can do. That doesn't mean you don't want to keep pushing and fighting for the things you believe in. And I defend, you know, moderates, so-called moderates in the democratic party all the time, that they're not selling that. They'd rather get the first infrastructure bill that, that just passed, that had originally passed with 19 Republicans through still 1.2 trillion, still 120 billion a year toward rural broadband roads, bridges, rather than the whole agenda going down the tubes, because we can't have 3.5. I don't know where they get these numbers anyway, 3.5. They throw them around like it's a, a beanbag or so, you know, a right. beanie baby, you know, I mean like, okay, well, you know, can it be 2.8? I'm just saying like, what would, why does the democratic party have have to become like group of soldiers that they're getting shelled in a war. You know what I mean? Instead of defending, they just all go down. It's like, just can't we get something done? You got 19 Republicans, which is huge. You know, yeah, sure. is, is it a Republican bill? I'm just tying this into the way you, you describe your style, which I like. Is, is, so is it, what's a Republican bill? If you got the, if the country together can pass something like it used to do when I was on the Hill, when Bob Dole would get together with Kennedy, Teddy Kennedy and work on saving Social Security, or Pat Moynihan actually, or work Bob Dole and George McGovern, save the food stamp program, right? Arch conservative in his day, Dole, not really now. George McGovern, the very liberal, defeated 1972 candidate, worked and stuff got done. They did it on everything. And now your colleague would be called socials if he worked, he or she worked with you on, you know, the Medicaid buy-in program. Literally it's, anything. It's insane. Yeah. It's insane. It and then on the other side of it, my Democratic, my, my the liberal uh, sort of the, the, the super left yeah. is pissed at me for not, for not just going straight, straight physical payer. And it's like, come on, come on, guys. please, please understand. Mean, and, and that's, that's what they that's should what be so happy that a guy like you who represents in my view, a real future is in a red state. And this brings me to my next point. In a state legislature where the Democrats, use your word, got shellacked in 2010 so badly, and we did poorly again in 2020, you know, we down ticket with Trump lost, but we didn't do well down ticket. And we've lost our ability to control the way we redistrict and the way, and then the gerrymandering fight, all those things. So my point is, there you are, right? And, you know, obviously, you know, holding the fort down. 
and they're mad at you for not pushing that when we need to win. Do we just need to elect more Democrats to get to stop the authoritarian threat? I want to support any Democrat I can at any level because I think they're the only viable alternative, imperfect though they may be, and that's okay, to what the to what Trump Republicans, as they use the word, not my word, uh, represent to the country. I mean, by the way, patriots. Yeah, sure. But I'm saying like to that point, the Dems, and we're going to get to the state legislature stuff in a minute, in your chamber there, your Republican colleagues, I mean, off the record, they say Trump's a, an egomaniacal jerk who's a threat, but they get to the, what, they get to the rostrum and say he's a great guy. What do they do in Oklahoma? In the state, do you hear people get up there and go, well, I mean, President Trump, he's the, he's a good Christian man and, you know, never went to church, you know, uh, thrice married, you know. Buck the porn star. I mean, you know, when they do they go, well, yeah, but he's Jesus put him there. I mean, I'm serious. Do they do that with a straight face or is that, do they do that and then go back and go, hey, come here for us. Let's go grab a drink downtown. That's bullshit. Like you're like two wrestlers or something after a WWF match. All of the above. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I, we're not we're a serious all... country. We're just not. It's not a serious. You're a serious person, but we are not a serious country. No, you're you're right. And the irony there. Yeah. For the for the five years I've been in this legislature. I have been criticized by people for not being serious enough. I like to joke around. I like to cut up. What do you I mean was the middle child. Oh, you, oh because you have your middle child. You have two brothers, right? On I, and, I, and, and I was, uh, I was always trying to bring people to try, trying to negotiate, compromise. I have empathy and I have. You do. You a, have, a when, when you to, say you're a cut up, I mean, what I, I, you have to seem like you have a lot of gravitas. What do you get on the floor and put a clown nose on? What do you do? <laughs> no, no, I mean, I, come on. I'm laughing. I'm, I'm poking fun at you, but what does that mean? You're a, these are, these people are fucking clowns telling us that Donald Trump didn't incite an insurrection to yeah, overthrow free and fair election. Fuck that, that man! Right? No, exactly right. That that that's what's incredibly frustrating. And I so yeah. So I had I had friends and I have acquaintances who have before, and I and I in, in caucus as well in in the last several years, say yeah I like you but you just uh, sometimes you don't take yourself seriously enough or you're not. And it's funny to me because first of all the personality that I have is the one that I that got me elected. One two. The, uh, the personality the, right now, because this obviously people are going to be listening to this podcast. This is you. I feel like this is who you are. Yeah, but this is also who I am down on the floor yeah, and at home I mean. and everywhere else. Right. And I don't. And and if and to be quite frank with you, Adam, if the folks I work with, if that's the same person they are at home, I don't know how the hell they got elected. I mean, there's guys up here that I go, do they just turn? Do they have a button they turn on at home? But it's got like, very low batteries. <laughs> I mean, they're they're like they're like exe- they exemplify fuckwatery. As I like to say, and and this is the worst part of it. This is the center of it. What makes them that? They take themselves so seriously, and they don't take this job seriously at all. And that is the problem at every level of government. Well, is- by the way, and you're 100 percent right because the what's so awful about the I call the McConnell uh, Republican, right, who sits silent and they, they're totally full of shit. They stand for nothing. Meaning they were they are going to allow the guardrails of our democracy to loosen, if not completely fall off in order to seize and stay in power. Which in your experience, I don't mean, you agree with that? What, that that's I, what they're doing. I do. And one thing that I just think about a lot too much, I think there was a, there was an, a point when McConnell held hostage that, that uh, SCOTUS seat in the last yeah. oh. several months of, of, of Obama's uh, term. Yeah. And then he did turned twice. around and said the exact, I mean, there's no pretense anymore. There's no. There's oh, you mean no when, when they wanted to Barrett to come in in the election year? He said we can't confirm somebody in election year in 2016. Yeah. Scalia died. 
He wouldn't let Obama put Merrick Garland, now our attorney general, in that seat. So that wouldn't bring it up. And then in 2020, what we, we confirmed this, this, in my view, really radical extremist to the court, uh, certainly on abortion, Amy Coney Barrett, uh, in an election year, what, three weeks before an election, by the way, the third justice appointed by Trump, who is a one-termer and who was defeated. Let's, let's say that again. Trump did lose. I know, I, but right. I mean, if you and I like for louder in the, those in the back of the Oklahoma chamber, those out in, you know, those out in cloud cuckoo land, Trump did lose, but not before getting a third pick. So to your point, yeah. that's what McConnell's in here. He Stanford. So how does that, I mean, in your experience, man, how, how is this a party that still takes itself seriously or, or thinks that, I mean, those who believe in, in Mitch McConnell, those who think that they are doing the right thing, those who would look away, maybe knowing, I mean, maybe they know that this is so fucked, but they don't care because they just believe. So is it that they believe so much that we are the danger, that we are the threat, which is ironic considering the fact that every time we have the chance to have power, we don't seem to do a damn thing with it. Uh, well, you know what? It's a great, it's a great, macro question and and we could spend hours on this i would say the short answer is the ascendancy of donald trump in all of his dangerous buffoonery just allowed them in my view under cover of the mad orange king as i call him to literally get their judges pass their tax cut they don't care pay get payoffs to oil companies whatever horse shit they're doing and then go in front of a camera like these jerks you're doing business with right i don't need to insult them personally, but they get to a microphone and, and literally lie and say whatever it takes because that person in that district, we're so binary and so partisan and so polarized, really are, that they're going to, if there's an R by their name, they don't care if the guy, it doesn't matter, right? So, yeah. because I was talking about this yesterday, all right? The Republican Party of yore was, certainly in my modern lifetime, was a free trade party. And I'm a free trader, for example. So I, even though I don't agree with them on a lot of things, I love that they were for free trade amount of protections. The, the Republican Party was a huge proponent of the national security state in a lot of ways, not just wars, but just the institution of it, right? Believing in that. The Democrats, the left typically was suspicious. You go back to the 60s because of, of Hoover's FBI and the CIA, and they didn't like the whole Cold War. And that, you know that was a... The Republicans believed in that, even though you know, we started under Truman, but still. And then you even had this whole thing with Russia, of course. They were our mortal enemy. Now, again, it's not the same. The Soviet Union doesn't exist. But you have, so you have Trumpism, right, which is tethered to tariffs, protectionist tariffs, hating the FBI, pro-Russia, right? Uh, all of a sudden, totally xenophobic. The xenophobes were always there, but they were kind of sidelined. Immigration, I mean, Ronald Reagan, George W. Bush, John McCain, all were rightfully what, what you know they wanted it done legally but they said let's naturalize as many people as we can let's if you're coming to america you can have a slice of this delicious american dream pie different from this crowd so i i, I mean that's what fascinates so that why i guess what i'm saying is they stand for nothing we, you know you, you you can't tell me your whole life you can say intellectually you change your mind and you've gone through a conversion these people are not philosophers right they're whores so all of a sudden it's a good idea now because you just don't want to be bad. You want to be tough on China because that fits your, your MAGA ethos. You know, so now we're like, it's bad policy for everybody, right? The agriculture, Department of Agriculture bailed all those farmers out, which is why they didn't take it out on Trump. I mean, they did go under and then they got bailed out. Socialism. Well, who do you think did it? The government, you know, it was like it was the mini version of the financial crisis in 2008. Not as bad, but farmers got killed by those tariffs. That's what tar a tariff is a tax at the border. 
I actually have a problem with tariffs in a lot of ways. I'm not a Republican, but I do. And I, this is the party that doesn't believe in taxes. So did you, none of it makes any sense because it doesn't. Let's go to one main thing. All right? I would like, does the blue dog still bark? And I don't even know if it's a relevant question, but it's still worth asking. So, you know, the blue dog Democrat sort of grew out of the 94 uh, onslaught of the when the Republicans seized, you know, uh, the House the first time in 40 years at that time, 1994, Gingrich came in, contract with America, and a lot of Democrats who had lost their seat, the Democrats who had retained their seats were worried about the sort of leftward drift of the party. Now, again, this is not the 90s. It's a different time. I mean, do you think that label still applies? Would that apply to you? Well, gosh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I call myself progressive and, and other progressives yeah. don't necessarily agree. And I mean, plenty, plenty do, but there's a pragmatic progressive. I know people think it's paradox. That's the, I mean, that, but it's the truth. And okay. So the reason that I got called soy boy, I should have like clarified that. I really have tried to keep my legislative work on sort of economic issues. What lifts the boats for everybody? Because it doesn't matter, you know, what you are, where you're from, what you do To, to different degrees. These, these more equitable policies help you out, obviously would prefer to design them in a way that lifts the the lowest up. But anyway, I know I'm with I, you. You're, no, you're, you're, that's, but to me, that's what makes a guy like you, anyone that does that, because that's the only thing that's going to unite us because we're not going to come together and everything else. And so I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I want to say this because it answers the question you asked before. If there are also, if the Republicans don't have a culture war, right, to scare people, then they, this stuff happens. People will put more Democrats in power. And that's what I did. It was an unforced right. error. Uh, I had. Huh. There was there was a bill about critical race theory on the floor of the house, and I was listening to the Q and As, and I was listening to the debate, and I gave a debate and just scribbled down some words, and I talked about my my white male privilege, and I talked about my white I, being a tall white male, straight uh, tall white male, and uh, that speech went viral. Uh, Viola wow. Davis put it on her Instagram, and wow. uh, other other people that I didn't really. I'm kind of a nerd and don't know a whole lot, but some guy. Anyway, a lot of people did, and and it was. Uh, it was a wonderful thing because it was a great conversation, an opportunity to have good conversations with some of my colleagues about, you know, why I said what I said and all of that. But to your point, that got so much more attention than my years of of filing this sort of economic progressive policy, and that's fine. But but from from a I mean a personal standpoint, I, I I'm not ashamed of the way that I feel on these social issues, but I I also recognize. I have this window of opportunity and what, what am I going to use my time to talk about? And, and I've chosen to try to focus on the things that I think can bring people together, help everyone and show people that democratic policies, if we can get them enacted, help you more than, than, than hurt you. And certainly do not do the things that, 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 that do nothing Republicans uh, want you to believe. Um, but that, that's just sort of the I like your Truman-esque flair there, the do nothing Congress, do nothing Republicans. You I get like it. it, but but that's but I mean, but that's also our our risk is that if we don't do anything with the power that we get, you end up with a one-term crazy president who gets three Supreme Court picks. Uh, listen, if we if the Democrats don't, and again, I'm not I'm rooting for them, but you know this thing and way, and I'm so tired of it. The, the Progressive Caucus and Mansion and Cinema, you know, we got to get this bill through. They got to get this bill through. They got to govern. I will tell you though, and I will say this on this podcast, and I'm going to keep saying it because the, to me. The greatest threat to democracy ever in our certainly in our time has been is Trumpism, not just Trump, Trump, but this whole power grabbing democracy destroying movement that I'm very concerned about Democrats 
pushing legislation in the wrong order. And here's what I mean by that. It seems to me, and you probably wouldn't have gotten Republican votes, but this, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act is probably the most important thing. And then there's the For the People Act. There's two different bills that we could have done. Because if we don't secure the right to the franchise, right, in every way and, and, and end partisan gerrymandering and do these things, by the way, Manchin is actually for this, we, nothing else matters. You, you know, somebody tweeted something brilliant the other day. I, I can't remember uh, if it was back from MSNBC or not, but somebody, I think he was, uh, a commentator on there. And he said, we could become, if we don't secure the right to vote, we'll be the uni- the, we will be the United States of autocracy with modern roads and bridges. Listen. That doesn't mean uh, I have Democrats who come down on me and friends on the left who say, well, hang on now. We shouldn't stop governing. Just because. I said, you can only get a few bites at the apple in Washington. And you got to prioritize. And they didn't lead with this bill. And uh, I think Biden's doing the best he can inheriting a shitload of problems that he did. But you're not going to be able to. The idea that we, you have to put everything in one bill because it's the last chance and the last great hope of Earth. And, you know, fine. But, you know, you're, it's an overstuffed Thanksgiving turkey, and a lot of people don't trust government, and rightfully so. But if you don't secure the right to freely and fairly participate in government, I, I, I don't know. It's just – so I speak to you because I feel like you would be a kind of Democrat in a national level that would be responsive to that. You don't, you're not going to die on the hill of a 3.5 infrastructure bill, which may or may not be a good idea. I'll put that out. To, I don't know. I think infrastructure is a great idea, but I don't know that this bill, everyone says, if you don't vote for this bill, you're, you're, you know, you're a mortal enemy of the state. You know, enough with the rhetoric from the Democrats too. Okay. They're full of shit too. Anyway, uh, I am, oh no, you're, I mean, it's, it's very, very, I don't know if it's more frustrating to watch Republicans bicker or watch sort of the mansions and the, the Presleys of the, of the, uh, sort of the spectrum kind of get get at each other, but no, you mean Alana Presley? I, is that what you mean? Presley? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and, and I, I have a lot of respect, mad respect for, for Alana, but uh, I, and, and my, my friend Justin and I always talk about Joe Manchin as being a person who has literally always only ever chosen himself. And yeah. a lot of times that choice has happened to also been good for other people, but, but he, he's out for himself all the time anyway. But to your, to your, the question that you asked yeah. the whole point here. Yeah. Do, do blue dogs start bark anymore? And my answer to you is, I think, after all of this, I think I think we have to uh, because because when you talk about you, you know after after the contract with America in the early '90s and, and the and the wild pushback against Bill Clinton, who really was able to capture at the time, and we can debate you know the, the errors of his policy positions now, but you know, come on. This is we're measuring. We're, I'm, I'm not one it. of those. Uh, first of all, he was my first vote. He was a fantastic president. He ended 12 years of Reaganism, you know, and yeah, he did. You know, people. Well, there's a lot of rewriting the history. You know, if Bill Clinton had done this. It's like, listen, if Bill Clinton hadn't ran as a new kind of Democrat in 92, you would have had H.W. Bush with a second term. It's just people are exactly making right. they don't they weren't there. And they're also seeing it through. But Bill Clinton didn't, you know, end world hunger. It's like, OK, well. <laughs> Okay, you know. Yeah, he, what a dick. Know, why not? Why not, right? President Xanadu. He was, but let me say, I know where you're going with the Clinton thing, but don't forget this too. He was best poli- best politician of, of a generation, certainly, I think, I've ever seen. And a Southerner and a Bubba. So he could carry those, you know, you could carry the Tennessee, Kentucky, Georgia, you know, because, and also, you know, he, I hate to say it, you know, he, he, he soothed the, you know, fearful white male complex of like, he you did. know. Yeah. And that's what I'm talking about. Like, right. And you look at that, and then you look at people like former Governor Cuomo of New York, uh, and obviously a lot of things there. But 
but his approach. Compassionate policies delivered in a gruff way that 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 uh, people respond to, just like Bill Clinton was able to communicate in ways that made sense. He, he was able to take complex issues and simplify them and help people understand them. We, we need to do, we need to focus more on that. He's magic less, in that department. Yeah. He is magic in that department, but it doesn't, it, it's not rocket surgery no. uh, to, to, um, to just slow down and, and train yourself not to apologize about the way you want to govern, but instead sell it like, you know, Hey, look, I know I'm a Democrat, but don't, 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 I know. Uh, don't, don't yeah. stop listening now, please. Let me tell you why I, I, I'm, I'm still okay. No, come on. I'm a Democrat because we, we're the party that supported unions who, who yep. gave you your weekend. We we're the folks who, who want to make sure Unemployment that you insurance. all of these yeah. things, everything, social security, Medicare, Republicans were against Medicare. Then they Medicaid, the great society, voting rights, civil, although a lot of Republicans fairly did vote for those different party then, but still, you know, and then, since then, I mean, you know, uh, uh, you know, the, that's right. The Democratic Party has a, I would say, a very uh, hallowed history in the best sense of the word of doing the right thing. Not certainly in the 20th century, the 19th century is a little bit different. Although they always had their segregationist wing. I mean, you know, so it, oh, but, and, and we still get Republicans bringing that up on I the know, floor of this house here in I Oklahoma. Know. Right. Like as, as if, as if they're Thaddeus Stevens during the reconstruction period, really fighting for the freed slave to have a right to a good life. You know what no. I mean? I mean you're reaching so far back and saying, we're the party of Lincoln. Do, do you not have more recent things? To Actually, they're not. And it makes really, Abe Lincoln, I think, is the greatest president the country ever had for a number of reasons. The Republicans need to stop calling themselves the party of Lincoln because Abe Lincoln does not approve. Sorry. Right. He just doesn't. And uh, he told me so. But we'll get into I can't tell you about my conversation on air with him. But anyway, um, now I just want to get it's a different podcast. I want to get to this uh, paranormal, but paranormally speaking, with Forrest Bennett. No, uh, I want to ask you this. So and, and frame it this way, and I think it dovetails to what you're saying. You have you have these issues of criminal justice reform, education, healthcare, poverty that you frame in that way, right? And I think messaging is where I want to conclude with you on is so key because you speak clearly plainly and you and you, you say this is what i'm for you don't apologize about it and i know we're fighting a, a you know a fascist media machine it's difficult you know i mean an authoritarian machine that is given too much credibility by national media and so on and so forth. if you present it right the democrats they still can't explain infrastructure a speaker pelosi who i have i really do think is doing a good job got defensive with a reporter who said what's you people out there aren't helping us sell this and you know the journalist rightfully said another journalist said it's not their job to sell the infrastructure bill the democrats should say you know what guys there's some amazing and important things we need to do as a country yeah they're going to cost you but it's an investment in a better minimum wage you know, better hours for you and your kids. You know, if you're never going to go broke buying health or getting health care, you're 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 going to know more about things. Your you know, teachers are going to get better pay, like you want, like you believe in. We're not going to just incarcerate people, which is also a fortune. We're going to see give. We're going to treat mental illness. Don't you think if you just articulate? And I really know you're fighting Fox News. I feel it. You know, you're fighting all of that. But I also feel the Democrats don't. You know, talking about Bill Clinton. Remember Bill Clinton had when re, when renominating Obama in 2012, he had that fabulous speech, and Obama referred to him there after that point as the Secretary of Explaining Stuff. Well, Obama was a good communicator. Don't get me wrong, but why why does it why would you have to call somebody that? 
Think about it. No, explain it. You should explain it. Yeah. So you have a, you have to have a secretary. Think about this. It's like bad meta or something. Secretary of explains. It was a great line, but like, huh? You guys are supposed to represent us. You explain it. You know what I mean? Isn't that kind of what you're after here with this? I know you want to do good for the people, but don't you feel your narrative is in that direction? Yes, and I I benefit from from existing in what I. I guess I would consider sort of a monument garden to the the folly of ignoring problems until they become too big to ignore because I'm sitting in a building right now that cost tens of millions, hundreds of millions to, to, uh, and we're still doing it to undergo renovations because we, we ignored it and neglected it for so long. The same is true of our criminal justice system. The same is true of our healthcare system. And we've been talking about the healthcare system. And, and uh, the reason that I, that, that I uh, authored the Medicaid buy-in when I did was because the previous election cycle, the people of Oklahoma had actually uh, approved Medicaid expansion in Oklahoma back in 2009 or 10, when, um, when then governor Mary Fallon had the opportunity to take it, she, she accepted it and then got pushback and like the same day decided to, to say no. And I mean, just that one decision. And that was the, that was the tea party crowd. That's pre-Trump. Yes. Yes. It was sort of the, it's just so wild to look back at it in, in right. retrospect, but um, we, we find ourselves at a crisis point and that's why, I mean, so, so, sometimes what's funny to me is watching when we reach a crisis level and then all of a sudden progressive policies make sense to everybody, right? Eviction moratoriums, uh, all yeah. the things that happened oh, during always. the pandemic. Come on, just always. expose the fact. Who's this right? Who's going to solve every time there's a natural a natural disaster? Right, and oftentimes, sadly, it's in the Gulf or in the South. I mean, FEMA's got to come in there. What well, the federal government shouldn't? If you just go let you can't let the place rot. My, I'm making your point that yeah, the government's been there in, in these in these you know death defying times to save us. But you, and, but but you can't. The problem with with messaging that way is that you can't just always catastrophize, you know, and 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 it's certainly not in the. That's in a the, good way. I like that you can't always. Well, my therapist taught me that phrase. <laughs> I, I well, I like that, and I, I think on that, and that's a great exit. You can't always catastrophize, Forrest Bennett, for Congress. I like that. No, it's good. Actually, it's important because you have to highlight the optimism and possibility of the things that you're putting forth here, and you can't just remind people that if you don't expand the size of government, then you're not going to have you know, a pandemic playbook or a, uh, a new deal or something. You got to be able to say, we have a, pri- we are free marketeers. They're in the private sector and their government and the free market are partners. It's neither mm-hmm. just capitalist. It's neither just socialist, but learn what the terms mean. And I think don't always catastrophize is very important in a time where our politics is turned to a the highest decibel level, a fever pitch, and it serves no one. And I really thank you for, um, your insight on this stuff. Hey, no problem. I'm happy to have been invited on. And and I I read the sort of the synopsis of of what you want this podcast to be, and this whole idea that you just get get no no bullshit allowed, like no no sort of political I mean, rhetoric. I mean, it's because no. it gets and so you have not. You've offered it is. You're telling me the truth. I know what you believe in. The people who are listening to this should know your values. I like your values. Okay, and I and I like what you represent. But you're not here. You're not here bullshitting me with rhetoric, and you're not telling me that you know the wheels fall off the world if if, if we don't get incredibly liberal. And you acknowledge the clowns and fools on that are in that chamber with you, supposedly doing the people's work. Well, I, I don't. I don't at any time in the near future need to worry about whether or not you'd like to vote for me. So I can be honest. With you, you know? <laughs>
<laughs> That's true. Well, we'll see. I well, I think you might have a future. Keep going. You could be. I mean, if Oklahoma would elect people Democrats, you know, and I'm not saying they should never elect Republicans, but if they'd be willing to elect some statewide Democrats, you know, there is a uh, you know a noble glide path, right, from the David Bournes of the world and in the House to the uh, uh, McCurdy's of the world and. Um, the rest of the session is still going on. Is that right now? So we've got a special session coming up in a couple of weeks to um, <laughs> because the census numbers didn't come in on time. So uh, the legislature is going to have to spend a whole lot of money to come back into session. Uh, all these anti-government Republicans from from out of out of town are going to come in and get their per diem. I do not get my per, I don't get per diem by the way. I have to live too close to the Capitol, FYI. But uh, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be you doing. Drive that. yourself to the Capitol. I do. And actually, my wife and I just became a one car household and I've got a uh, I'm such a little hippie. Uh, I've got a, a, a Rad Runner electric bicycle that I'm going to be riding up to. the Capitol Wow. Tonight. I know. I love it. Well, you're you're a soy boy, too. Don't forget that now. But wait, let me ask you this. You said about a car and I meant to ask you this. We can end, actually end with this. I think it's not fun, but interesting. You're, you had a vehicle stolen on the campaign trip. Sure did. Yeah. Can we just just end the podcast with that story? I want to hear. So I was. Uh, I really, I think it's, it was a spring it's of, not uh, great, but it's like one of those. Great no, stories. it ended up being, I mean, it ended up being significant. Uh, my, and the conspiracy theories were hilarious Okay, about who everybody thought stole it, but it was just, <laughs> it was some kid that, that needed it. I mean, I guess, and it, ultimately they found him in Loveland, Colorado. And I was just proud of my 94 Toyota Avalon, with like 500,000 miles on it that made it um, all the <laughs> way out there. Uh, but and they said they said when they found it that, that it looked like the kid had been living in it. And I said, well, it honestly kind of looked like someone was living in it before it got stolen. But, uh, the <laughs> the deal is that I, I was yeah I was knocking doors and the um, somebody who's really good at it uh, jumped in while I was talking to a lady and and, and drove off and uh, so I started taking the bus and then I got elected and I still I mean I w- when I got elected to the legislature it was the most money like the most money. I had ever gotten from a job. And for a lot of folks that come into this, they brag about how they lose money. And I don't really, I've never really understood that. Um, Oh, I lose money every time I come up here. Like, wow, wow, I'm so, it makes me so, you know, you're so venerated anyway. Right. uh, So I really kind of became a spectacle for a lot of folks because I took the bus, the city bus to the Capitol, but it was incredibly helpful for me because you know, the priorities in this building are so warped, but if you don't, if you're not paying enough attention outside, it becomes, it's very hard. It's very hard. I mean, it's sort of a a reality distortion field where, where uh, you truly believe that these, these two sides of, of one mega industry who are upset about the changing of a word and a statute is the most important thing to everyone in this state. And it's not. And, and when I'm riding the bus with people who are on like work release or uh, who are on their way to social security uh, and people, you know, people are worried every day if they can get by, you know, and, and then you go in there and it's kind of infuriating, you know, it's kind of infuriating to watch people just, well, cause they have obviously the Republicans have the majority and they're doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the, the conversations that people have, What's what's the bus like? You can tell they're never ever going to try it. So you want they want you to just paint the picture for them. Well, listen, I I, I don't know if the blue dog still barks, but you do. So and I thank <laughs> you for barking. Woof yeah, woof on good. this podcast. A dirty moderate like me appreciates a sensible uh, legislator who wants to get stuff done. So again, I really am glad you joined us, and uh, I uh, I hope you'll come back and visit oh, us. More than happy to. You know, we we are in the super minority, so I have extra time. Oh.